a bar on a cool winter's evening underneath the stars and we'll find some welcome back to what has accidentally turned into a two-part interview with the uh good people from <laughs> sierra nevada uh we have terence and byron here with us in the cool room uh they've been very generous with their time to the extent that we now have to devote a second episode to the Stout and the Bigfoot Barley Wine. If you haven't already listened to episode one, go back and that will indulge you in four or five fantastic beers and some fantastic stories. Particularly, we just finished off with some great yarns about how the torpedo first came about, uh, its successes and failures, and uh, just some great conversations there. I'm very excited to talk Stout, which is one of my favourite styles of beer. Some people might have the porter in their tasting packs as well, so maybe we'll touch on that along the way. And we're going to finish off with the Bigfoot Barley Wine, so make sure that you have all three of those ready to go as we move through our conversations. Um, I think I'm taking the lead on the stout, which makes a little bit of a change. Normally I hand off straight away, but... David, if I could, if I could say, if, if you are on the podcast, go back to the first, listen to the first, so if you get any slurs on this one, you will understand why. <laughs> <laughs> That's just Very a standard well cool room podcast episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, we're starting here with this episode with the stout, but am I right in saying, guys, that the stout was actually where the brewery itself began in terms of those? Uh, yeah, and actually, if you look on the label, um, there's a little building on this. What that, you know, what a lot of people don't realize is stout was actually the first beer that Ken brewed. But when we talk about our 40th anniversary, November 15th of 1980, it wasn't the start of the construction of the brewery. It was the morning that Ken fired up and made stout. Um, and so that's what that's harkening back to. So the first beer we made was stout. Ken won't admit his favorite beer. I'm going to guess that it's the first beer that he made. Uh, it's a hilarious story of a eight hour brew day turned into like a 16, 18, 20 hour brew day. But yeah, this is this is back to our original roots of stout. Yeah, yeah. That that uh, the image that's actually on that bottle is a uh, rendition of uh, the actual building that still stands to this day. It's on Gilman Way. Uh, I think it's been renamed, but uh, it's still in the same location. Uh, we just it's a tire recently... warehouse and Asian food store now. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. The Asian food store is right next door, and I shop okay, there. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, um, but um, the original brew house, we actually got that back from Mad River Brewing Company, and we have that actually on a trailer. Uh, it is now mobile, and prior to COVID, we had a plan to take it across the United States and. Uh, brew in different locations uh, and brew 10, 10 barrel batches on Ken's original brewery. We did get one brew in down in Berkeley and uh, Fieldworks actually fermented it and, uh, and made a beer out of it. Um, so hopefully if all this breaks, uh, we can get back that thing back on the road. But uh, Stout is uh, one of the batches of beer that Ken uses every time we commi commission a brew house. So uh, we built, um, he built his original one. That's what he used uh, when he moved to our current location on the 100 barrel brew house, did the same thing. 200 barrel brew house did the same thing. Uh, we did a pilot. Uh, we did the North Carolina brewery. Um, and then when he fired the original brewery backup it was another stout so 
Uh, it's just something that kind of uh, runs in our veins. Uh, I think it's an amazing beer. Uh, it's a true, I think, um, uh, American style stout. It's made uh, with Cascade hops. Uh, we've been, you know, kind of going back. Uh, I, di I didn't get a chance to tell everyone a story of uh, uh, one of my favorite things is I, I get a enter a lot of our beers into GABF and World Beer Cup and those kind of um, Australian uh, competition too. But um, we, we enter pale ale a lot. And uh, nowadays we get remarks of uh, not to style uh, from judges, which I always find <laughs> amazing, you know, American pale ale, you know, it, it actually defined, it's actually uh, written in, if you want the style, drink this, right? Um, and, and same with stout, like, oh, too much hops, that, you know. That's a, like a Charlie American Chaplin. Stout. Charlie yeah. Chaplin came second in a Charlie Chaplin impersonation. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think that's funny about the beer styles, too, because we, we did the same thing of the last beer we're going to have, Bigfoot. And, you know, would put this in American barley wine, and everybody's like, it's too hoppy, it's too hoppy, it's too hoppy. And then uh, one year we decided to put it into uh, Imperial Red Ale, yeah. where I believe it took the silver. Oh, so if gold. you're out there trying to win beer competitions, it, it's yeah. more like put it in, do some math. You know, if, right. you, if, if you want to put it in a really flooded category, put it in IPA. But uh, well, it's one of those you got you to gotta start reading the judges, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah it goes but so so getting to this beer though i really want to talk about this beer because i i don't i don't drink this that often so i just pop this and i'm loving the kind of tobacco notes a little bit of chocolate a little bit of uh what i like to say is ashtray <laughs> And I say that with approachable a, ashtray. No, with a, with a heavy <laughs> heart. Um, like for me, um, this beer always reminds me a little bit of my father. Um, I'll get a little heavy on you guys, but that that ashtray, right? Driving down the road yeah. in the station wagon, the the ashtrays open. Uh, Dad's cigarette butts are sitting in there. Um, it to me that that uh this this beer just has a lot going on and i think it's it's well balanced it's a great drinking beer especially uh i assume it's still raining there kind of maybe very much a little oh, yeah. little chill you might be able um, to hear the rain on my uh ceiling windows at the moment yeah this is this is like one of those beers that just has its moments that uh you can really sit back and enjoy mine mine's a little cold um, so, you know, a little bit warmer temperature with this beer. Um, and I think it's spot on, especially for, for stylistically speaking. Perfect. It's, um, just such a sort of iconic beer. I can't, you know, that conversation we had before in, in my notes, I'd written that this to me is an excellent example of the style. So the, the notion that, you know, that it's not judged as that just strikes me as so sort of wrong. Has, has this one changed over time? We asked that question, I guess, about the pale ale early on, you know. Is, yeah. Is yeah, the, 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 the hops mainly have changed in this. You know, Cascade's always been the finishing hop, but the, the mid hop is, is definitely changed over time. 
Um, I, I, I think, you know, this, this is one of those beers and, and is Porter in your, your pack? Yeah. 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 That, yeah. So, so we, we've always kind of struggled, um, uh, with those, those two beers in my personal opinion, especially it, it, a lot of it has to do when we started to go, this, this is like the downfall of like kind of automated systems and not auto, like all the way automated, but you know, a lot of these, um, beers that required a lot of specialty malts, um, were actually hand delivered. So we had a dry mill. Now we have a wet mill. Um, there was a stage there where uh, we were we were taking you know our grains from uh, from out back and kind of pneumatically moving them so the volumes would change even batch to batch you know and and when you're when you're talking about six uh, percent versus seven percent uh, of the malt being something like a uh, uh, you know black malt that can have a drastic change on the actual finished beers. So we would always kind of struggle with the porter and the stout getting this, like, you know, just, you know, trying to dial those in every single time. When, when in the old days, it was like two bags of black malt for, for the, the stout and maybe a half a bag uh, for the porter is much easier to kind of regulate, you know, whenever you're, cutting a bag open and hand hand applying it um so i always felt that that those two beers kind of struggled a little bit to kind of just get their identity and consistency all the way through um the the fact that i don't drink this all the time and i go back to it it's it's amazing um if i probably drank those two every single day it would probably frustrate me um, I always find the little difference between the two is the porter has that kind of residual sweetness um, and more chocolatey notes where the stout uh, has that little drier finish and has that little more uh, sharp uh, astringency to it that you'll get from, especially from the roasted barley that's in it, uh, that is not in the porter. That's a great, that's, you've actually sort of picked up on what my next question was going to be because we have people on the podcast and in the Zoom room who are either brewers and work at breweries who are experts at the intricacies, but we also have a whole lot of people who are very new to craft beer and porters may not be a style that they've had before. And for that matter, sometimes stouts aren't a style that people have had before. Um, you've given us just a brief sort of definition there, Byron. I don't know whether you'd like to sort of say, you know, what people should be looking for in the difference between a stout and a porter. And then maybe aside from your own stout and porter, which are, in my opinion, just absolutely genre classics, which other ones around the world you guys sort of take some inspiration from or just enjoy personally? Yeah, you know, and with the stout and porter, it's definitely, what's funny when you, when you read about Ken's, he calls it the 1979 stout. We, we were talking with him one time because there was nobody really malting roast barley. So Ken used to take barley and um, actually cook it in his oven. And there's a couple funny times that he uh, cooked a little too far and set off the smoke alarms and things like that. So it's funny to see those early days compared to what we have I don't today. think he had a smoke alarm back then. Yeah, I probably didn't. Caught fire. <laughs> fire and, yeah. and, and Katie was like, what are you doing burning in the house? You know? I, I think stylistically wise, um, 
you know, when I look at the difference between a porter and a stout, um, Terrence touched on the ingredients. If you hold up the beer to the light, and you know, if you if some of you have the porter and you hold it up to the light and you see this nice almost ruby hue of the light coming through the beer because of the lower amounts of the black malt, the patent malt and things like that, you've got yourself a porter. If it's as dark as night and light cannot escape its very surface, you've got yourself <laughs> a stout. Like that's just the first, you know, look at that. And you know, it's also easy to go really overboard with those malts. Um, I, you know, Terrence and I have this debate, porter or stout, and there's definitely camps at the brewery. Which one is your favorite? It's, it's basically, do you want that nice chocolate note or do you want that tobacco, you know, note to the end? I, I find our stout is one of my favorite stouts and not because I work here, but because a lot of the stouts that I've tried and, you know, it's very easy on a five-gallon setup to use a half a cup too much of roasted barley and go from that nice, you know, humidor finish to that astringent, almost burnt flavor. Like, you know, trying to eat something that my dad barbecued because he's the kind of guy that, <laughs> like, roasts it to the point of where, you know, it's carm it's it's carbonized on the outside. So... You know, that, that's the difference between the two. And, you know, to each brewer, to each their own. But I, I love our stout because it's got that nice, almost creamy, you know, nice tobacco finish to it all without being super astringent. So, and, yeah, and yeah, even in the glass, it continues to be that creamy sort of look about it. And you're right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%. yeah you, you, you mentioned, uh, you know, versions that, that, we might like um for me personally like i do you know carl's drinking an imperial stout uh i love imperial stouts um you know one of my favorite all time is uh old viscosity um from mm. uh from port brewing um just just amazing beer i think one of one of the beers that really kind of influenced me in the early years uh as a brewer uh, was Deschutes. I felt like Deschutes Porter, which was actually their flagship at one time, uh, was maybe one of the best porters on the planet. And it, it's funny because the guy that uh, the guy that ran the bottling line uh, actually worked at Sierra Nevada, and he was uh, uh, the guy that trained me, Roland Allen. Um, it was his older brother that ran the bottling line. Uh, and we used to get cases of uh, Deschutes Porter in exchange for Sierra Pale Ale, um, and it was just—it was just an awesome beer. I, I think they definitely they changed the recipe over the years because it's not quite uh, what I remember it to be. But maybe it's just me. But um, that, when when you come across a great porter and a great stout, there's just there's nothing better. And yeah. in my in my opinion, it's like that's a that's a great great style that, that that probably needs to live forever because um i just feel like um that really shows beer is i think beer was meant to be made uh, in the old world you know just all this all this stuff going on you know? and, uh, yeah and deschutes porter like terrence said is one of my favorites one of my favorite other stout state side is uh old rasputin um, and if you can find Old Rasputin, mm. 
on nitro there are yeah. places they do nitrogenate it and you know i'm a big i i you know and this is just a personal thing i think that porters and stouts should all be nitrogenated and on cask and like this one's really nice because it's also bottle conditioned um you know the first five beers that we did here at sierra nevada are all bottle conditioned because of that that problem with the tanks and just pick up a lot of oxygen so yeah you get a bottle conditioned porter and a bottle conditioned stout and it's like it's where that that beer belongs i'll, I'll tell you one of, one of the greatest uh beers i've ever had in my life was uh young's chocolate stout uh, mm. at at the original brewery by far just in their in their little tasting room is kind of like a little little basement um that was uh absolutely amazing so is it, uh, again that's one of those things about beer that i love like those those kind of memories and and in the memories that 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 come back uh when you're tasting stuff so like for me stouts i think about my dad all the time uh, I, I remember uh, sitting in a meeting uh at sierra and tasting the first uh, 1979 rendition stout that we had done with i i forgot how many malts were in it and uh and literally sitting there weeping, uh, thinking of my dad. Uh, and, and, and whenever I, uh, went every, every year when we do celebration ale, uh, centennial hops, whenever they're in my opinion, when they're at their perfection, uh, they have a very rose characteristic and it all always makes me think of my mom because, uh, she had rose gardens at every house we lived in. And, uh, we'd have to go out and pick the finest roses every, every single day. Uh, and bring them in the house so uh, so those are uh, and, and th those are the things like the scientific aspect of it you know when you think about it is like uh, sensory aspects are, are not uh, talked about it everybody like teaches their kids of what color is you know like that's green and that's blue and that's uh, you know uh, stopping and smelling the roses uh, means a lot and 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 that's great for like like food, you know, like training people on food and you know spices. You know that the the uh, comet hops, which we don't see a lot of in Australia at the moment for some reason. Uh, I think you, one of you guys might have mentioned pineapple. To me, it reminds me of pineapple sage, mm -hmm. and we had like a pineapple sage plant in the in our house when I was growing up. It's exactly what you're talking about. It's just such a distinctively sort of. It's got a green pineapple flavor, if that makes yeah. any sort of sense. Right. Um, right. I tell you, and I can pick that hop. I can't pick most hops, but that's just one that when I encounter it, I go, yes, that's what it is. And it's just yeah. one of my favorite flavors, but I'm sure it just ties back into all those sort of memories. From Did you ever eat right. those red flowers too, David? Like, you oh, know, you how, how eat those red flowers. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, on a pineapple sage. It's the most beautiful thing, like really bright. Oh no, not pale orange flowers like a burnt, like a burnt red flower. Yeah, that, that's exactly yeah, right. Anyway, welcome to Selvia Talk with David <laughs> and Boris. <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Your therapist will now meet you. Yeah. <laughs> Just perhaps one more question from me before we start to move on towards the Bigfoot. But um, in terms of you've got your bars and you've got sort of breweries where you get to encounter the customers. I know you've referred to those sort of things a couple of times and it's been really interesting in the conversations that we've had with brewers and, and breweries along the way, that capacity to have 
very quick feedback and that sort of bit of if they see you in the corner of the bar and go, for God's sake, bring back the Ruthless Rye. For God's sake, <laughs> right. bring back the original version of the Hoptimum or the Otraves. Um, how do you feel having that feedback loop sort of very immediate to the brewery and the brewers and the people who are making the decisions? You know, does that just change the way you make your decisions, I guess? Yes and no. Um, I, I, I think personally, personally, I I generally repeat everything that I hear that resonates to me, right? Um, and in the passion, right? So I've been I've been there twenty six years, and we used to they they stopped giving out the award. Uh, it, it was called the heartbeat of the company, and I won it twice out of three years. So. Uh, and it was just one of those things of like, I, 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 I bleed Sierra Nevada and that's, that's what I'm into. And, and I love hearing what people have to say about our company, whether it's positive or negative. Um, because if it's negative, I think, I think we need to listen and we need to change and we need to, um, figure out wh why that happened. Right. Uh, if it's positive, we just need to build on it. Right. And so, so for me, I, I love hearing um, what our consumers think and, and want. Some, some of them are, you know, some of the, you know, Ruthless. I'd love to have Ruthless as a seasonal again. Oh, did I bring uh, it up? I'm sorry. I must have. No, it's just, it's one of those things. It's like, it was one of my favorite beers. I, I remember, you know, when we entered it and won, won the gold medal and, and you know, and, at the world beer cup and it was like it was a, a phenomenal beer and it's still a phenomenal beer um it you know it, that that's one of those things like with seasonal beers whenever you keep coming out with a seasonal beer the the problem in, in my opinion one one of the problems is um the kind of fickle consumer of and i don't know if fickle's the right word but that consumer that and i and i have friends that are the same way like li literally i don't know if this happens in australia but i got friends that literally buy beer to taste beer so that they can have one more notch on their untapped <laughs> frankly, we, we have right? what we call the wheel of beery mystery at the pub right is that basically for the second week that the beer is at the pub, right? Someone could walk in and go, oh, "I could say to them as a publican, you loved the uh, the Hoptimum last week. Would you like to have that this week?' Oh no, I tasted that last week, and so you right. can't oh, yeah, sell yeah. It, a beer to someone who loved it again. And being an old timer, my opinion doesn't matter because I'm an old timer, and that's not how I think. Me as a as a brewery employee should take that and say, "All right, we need to make." more beers more often at least on a small scale we're not we can't do that as a company and and be as big as we are uh and just constantly change stuff it's just it it, it couldn't happen that way but we'll have a giant spinning wheel where people have no choice as to what they see <laughs> yeah. yeah so that's how we get rid of those last bits of every slab it's I, I've always wondered if breweries actually take the same same uh, beer and actually just put a different label on it. I, that's, yeah, <laughs> Surely whatever. not. Uh, I, Are I'll, we still recording? That. I know uh, I'm being recorded. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but anyways, it, it's you know it, it, 
you you have to you have to listen to both positive and negative i think and and so you know getting back to what you were saying is like yeah definitely you gotta you gotta you gotta hear what they have to say because it's it's important inevitably i think and you you guys probably have this down there and if you look at the cans nowadays it says family owned operated and argued over yep and you know it's funny for those of us that have worked for family companies, you know, we, we, we tend to have a problem that a lot of companies would pay, you know, a billion dollars in consulting fees to have is that we all care, you know, our, our conflicts are, you know, what's your, even conflicts, but you know, those meetings where, you know, passions are higher because yeah, it's because we care too much. And you know, that family thing goes to the pub regulars and goes to, you know, the consumers that we run across is that, you know, we consider them to be family and, you know, it, it, it may hurt sometimes when your family tells you you're, what have you done? Like, you know, and, but it's also like you, you take that to heart and. Yeah. yeah. As Byron's saying is literally there is pub regulars that have been drinking our beer, like going to the old, we didn't have a pub in the first five years, but they would go to the brewery and exchange walnuts and almonds, almonds <laughs> yeah. as we call them here, uh, for free beer, um, and sit in the break room. And those guys, which was still, a band seat, those guys still <laughs> sit at the end of the bar, and they will grab Ken's ear and tell them, tell him what they do and don't like. Uh, you know, I and you know that's I that's the one thing that I'm gonna be so grateful when the pub does reopen and I know a lot of brewers feel this way I know a lot of production people feel this way, you know if you can go in there as a brewer and you know sit down and have a beer after your shift, um, and you know there's somebody next to you drinking the beer and enjoying it I think that yeah. that's the best reward that you can have. I Ken Ken tends to be kind of low key. So a lot of people here know him, but you know, it, it's funny because Ken's not the kind of guy that goes, Hey everybody, I'm Ken Grossman. I've heard people talking about Ken and how much they love his story. And he's standing like five feet away from Terrence and, I, <laughs> and we're all having a beer and they're talking about Ken and, you know, and all those things. And it's just, it's gotta be a really great feeling as even outside of us as a brewer to sit down at the pub that you're working at and hear somebody enjoying that creation that you spent eight hours working over while two pumps broke and this didn't work right and like you did all these corrections and it's just at the end of the day that's like the biggest thank you that people can give to brewers without you know actually telling them that and we love that kind of thing so do you guys have a bit of a timeline on you know, we're all living in sort of coronavirus world and stuff at the moment. You're like, do you guys have a timeline over there in California on when you'll be able to reopen the pub and and what that sort of what that they, looks like? And they just just announced October first. October first. Yeah. We we were supposed to we were supposed to open July eighth, um, and they made a decision last Thursday. Yeah, we can mm-hmm. go yesterday. Um, when, when everything started to escalate here, um, they just decided we can go to October. You know, our, our pubs have never been a revenue source for us, except for North Carolina that actually 
And and the the thing about North Carolina, the reason it it does so well is it's a tourist destination. So it's it butts up to Asheville, North Carolina, which um, they have a the largest uh, kind of estate. It's not a castle, uh, but uh, the Vanderbilts, uh, the people that build the railroad systems on the East Coast, they have their estate there, and it's a it's a travel destination. They have the fall flowers, uh, or sorry, fall leaves. Um, so the leafers go there and they get, uh, the leafers. I don't know, I think, yeah, mm-hmm. 1, 1. 1.6 million people come to their, their destination. So that, that, um, so we get a lot of tourists that come through there. And so, and we built a facility for tourism. So they actual, if you ever get a chance and you want to come to the East coast and you're close, and you love beer, go to that brewery. It's maybe. Can we go to the brewery without looking at the leaves? Uh, you yes. can go to the brewery. <laughs> I, actually, go to the brewery outside of season because you won't pay as you'll pay way less for your hotel because uh, ho- they, they jack those suckers up during that uh, during that those weeks. Um, but it's. Uh, it, it, it's fabulous. It, it, it's like a place where you go in, you walk in and you have lunch uh, and then you walk out the back of it and it's just beautiful scenery. You can kind of walk around, kids can play, there's a playground, there's all sorts of stuff. And people, we've actually done surveys. People stay there for like three or four hours uh, at a time, you know, bring nice. their dogs and bring their family, all that kind of shit. So nice. um, Chico's not built that way. Chico is just, you know, kind of. You know, Chico is like Ken bought a studio apartment and then built a house on top of that and then <laughs> yeah. built another house on top of that house on top of that studio apartment. There's two-story doors that go nowhere here. Um, Terrence yeah. had an old office where on the outside there's two doors, but only one door works. The other one's walled up. And, you know, <laughs> we, it, where, whereas, you know, Mills River is like you got to build your house and move in. And we definitely, for those of you that have been to Disneyland and Disney World, we call this Malt Disney Land, and that's Malt Disney World. We've got the old school rides, you know, like we might have the Mr. Toad's ride that might break down every half an hour. And it's kind of like this weird historic thing, whereas Mills River is like the brand new thing. And, mm. you know, they're both they're both amazing facilities they're they're you know we get people you know before this was going on we would get people that would day trip up to chico and chico's not on the main drag of anything you know i think i think if ken had you know but it's the it's the community that we have in chico but we're we're not on a main interstate whereas north carolina is we're we've got some cool historical things but you know, North Carolina's got the Biltmore, which is this ginormous, huge mansion. Estate. We have we have the we have visit. the Bidwell Mansion. So just yeah. so you know, you were talking about toilet paper earlier. The Bidwell Mansion has the first, the first flushing toilet uh, west of the uh, Mississippi River. Yep. So uh, we've got that going for us. So oh, we to do that. Just saying. Just saying. If you want to come see it. Like, North Carolina uh, might have the first one on the on the east of the Mississippi. So, <laughs> we're allowed to fly out of Australia. Rest assured, that's the first thing we're going to come do. I have yeah, right. one more question in what I'm considering the stout section before okay. I throw over to Travis to lead the Bigfoot one. But 
guys, we've been doing this podcast for two years. It's called The Cool Room. You sort of touched on this before, Terence. Uh, we called it The Cool Room not just because we wanted to be cool and in a room together, but because, you know, if you're running a hospitality venue, you get used to the idea that things break down, things fall apart. That certainly happened to The Cool Room at the Royal Mail on Spencer, which is the pub that I own. But we love to hear from people the strangest or funniest things they've seen in a cool room or sort of behind the scenes that what we've touched on a few times in episode one of this and episode two, you know, the, the funny bits of running a venue and running a brewery that insiders experience all the time and that outsiders love to hear a story about. So do you remember a time that you've seen people doing things in a cool room that they shouldn't have been doing or, you know, just... Well, leaking something I'll, should have been leaked. I will. Uh, I'll let Byron <laughs> think because I know he probably has some pretty good ones. But I'll, I'll tell one of uh, one of my favorite. And, and this is kind of just like a story, right? Of like something that was funny that happened. So uh, we. This is 19, 1997. Uh, and we were expanding. This is kind of funny too because I was just uh, my my wife actually redid a dresser in our bedroom. And the bottom drawer is just shit of mine, right? It's it's all like, you know, birthday cards and all this other stuff. And I came across actually Ken's business plan that he wrote in 1995 of an expansion of like, okay, we're starting to get to capacity of our 100-barrel brew house. We got to build the 200-barrel brew house. And it was like, all right, okay, cool. And so so we build the 200-barrel brew house and uh, – or – uh, yeah, we, we had just finished building it and, uh, there was, so I'm going to tell two stories here. Uh, so the, so the first one was the first one was, um, we were, uh, we were commissioning the brew house and we were, we were off in another building. So there's the MCC room. So the room where all the controls are, and we hadn't built the station where the brewers would sit and overlook the brew house. So we were in a separate room with a door closed, right? And meanwhile, the room's not done. It's all concrete and the brew house is in there. We're boiling stuff and we're making beer and we're doing stuff. And, uh, but we're in another room and, and it's all computer operated, right? And so we're very new to this because it's nothing, everything was manual. Hmm. And so it prompts you go add hops. All right, I'll go outside. I'll add hops. I'll come back in and I'll push the button that I add the hops. Right. And so it's totally foreign. So we're sitting in the room and we're kind of shooting the shit. Right. And this guy, a construction worker that's working for us and they're laying tile, he comes through the door and he's like, Hey, something's going wrong. Stuff's flowing out of your kettle. And the other operator and myself were like, no, we're not. We're looking at the screen. We're like, no, it's not. And he's like, no, no, no. It's like flying out of the kettle and, or the vessel, he said, you know, it ended up being the kettle. And we're like, no, it's not. Cause it's got an overflow probe, right? It's supposed to tell us if it's flowing out over the top of it. We're like, no. And he's like, dude, you got to come see this. This is not, this is dangerous. And so we go out and we walk out. And it, I shit you not, we walk out that door and we both just eyes this big, holy shit, shut it down. And it was literally coming out 
the so there's there's a manway in the top of the kettle where you add the hops in, right? And so it's got a proximity switch. So when you open it up, it stops the steam. And when it tells you to add the hops, it stops the steam. And the overflow overflow probe is supposed to stop it, but it didn't. So the the stack just keeps filling up, filling up, and it's it's literally cascading fifteen feet out of the kettle of hot uh boiling wort you know sugar solution and here's this i look down and there's this kid and he can't be more than 18 years old remember we're being recorded yeah i know <laughs> and and he's literally crawling on his hands and knees and he wants to run he wants to go underneath the fountain of hot boiling wort so he can get his sponge and his little spatula that he's using to 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 lay the tile and we're like get the get out of there you know and he's like no but my sponge and we're like but your skin on your back buy you know? a new one. <laughs> so, so that was one and then and then we had and then we had another one where we started once we got the brew house up and running and we were going great guns we had this sit down meeting and like very serious sit down meeting with ken and ken says um because i want all of you guys to realize that we are at maximum capacity we can't afford to lose any beer. We need you guys to focus, have your attention on. Things are going faster than they used to on the manual system. It's 12 brews a day. It's not six brews a day. It's moving constantly. All of us sitting there, and I'm a supervisor, right? And I'm brewing. And uh, I'm, I'm shutting down the brew house for the week. And I ended up starting the CIP process, which is the cleaning process. And I didn't walk my loop properly and I didn't drop a tank. And so I pumped a uh, hot caustic up into a tank that we had to dump. And, uh, and so I Not sat there and just went, Oh shit. And so Monday morning, I, I told my boss and he's like, all right, you know, we'd shut down. And so Monday morning, uh, Steve Dresser goes, we got to go up and talk to Ken. And so I go up and talk to Ken and Ken is not one to cuss. And I went <laughs> up and I said, uh, so I ruined a 400 barrel batch of uh, beer because I pumped some hot caustic into it. And uh, he looks at me and he goes, did you listen to a fucking word I said? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I did, but I screwed up, you know? So anyways, those are, those are my, my fiasco moments. That's, that's yeah. pretty great. And I got to hear the cuss, which is one of my favorite American words that, you know. I don't think, like, there, there's been incidents, you know. Uh, I think one of my favorite was we used to serve a cask in the taste And, you know, not everybody's quite up to par with, you know, knowing this, the, the procedures of doing such, right? Proper technique. And, uh, yeah, you know, whether you vent it first before you put the faucet in. And uh, we, uh, we had a guide that actually um, didn't, didn't depressurize and, you know, didn't vent it early. It went to go put the faucet in and swung and hit the faucet. The faucet goes in. The faucet blows out of their hands with this hammer. And this, this cassock is on a cart. And the cart starts to propel itself <laughs> across the room. That's course, good. You know, of course, 
the funny thing is it's like it's like when one of your friends is like you know getting you know something's happening and you're all laughing so hard that you you can't help them and you're just laughing so hard and it's blowing beer everywhere and just it was like everybody was just dying of laughter and this poor person just felt terrible and like but you know it, it, it happens there's a lot you know, of good it's not an episode for a great it was for a great story yeah, we do find that a lot of the time when we ask this question, it's either one of two things. It's something exploding and making a hell of a mess <laughs> or someone getting embarrassed or injured and everyone else laughing at them. So you've done. Uh, yeah. yeah. I, I, have, I, I have an old coworker. Um, I, I, she tried to kill me three times, <laughs> not intentionally, but tried to kill me three times. One was by blowing a red light. Uh, another one was beer sticking to the mat and I almost fell and bit in the taste room. And then, the third one, we have this beer bike. Um, you know, it's this giant 14 person beer bike. It's got a radio, but of course, nothing. You have to explain what that is. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it, it's a huge 14 person uh, self propelled giant, like. It's, it's built bike. on a, it's built on a BMW, on a BMW 2002 chassis. chassis. But it's got this battery to run the radio that's an old school battery you know it's a sealed battery the damn thing weighs like 35 40 pounds and it's above your head and uh hit the speed bumps and i felt this brush behind my head and then looked behind me and the battery had jumped out of the tray and just like fallen right behind me and i was like okay that 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 that, 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 that the, the beer bike is like those uh the german i don't know if you've ever seen the german style ones and Ken, Ken has uh, Ken's a tinker, and so he's got a buddy in town that uh, does welding, and uh, so they got together one night again on a <laughs> napkin sketch uh, and designed a uh, a bike or pedal operated um, beer bike. That we yeah, it's built on a beer chassis with an old uh, Ford transmission on it. You have to get everybody to stop pedaling when you shift gears because there's no clutch on it. Um, and, and we used to take people, we, we, we do this program called Beer Camp where it's like three days coming up here, brewing your own batch of beer and that. It's funny because the third day, which is also the day that everyone's been kind of hitting it hard for 72 hours after lunch, we make them get on this giant beer bike and pedal around. So it's our little our little piece of torture for everyone, but it's, it's a good exercise after you've been eating pub food for three days and, and drinking a lot of beer. But yeah, it's a, I think, I think Terrence added that just to torture the campers a little bit. Speaking of, sure. So, so by the way, do you guys have pub pub food at your, your pet place? Very yeah. much. So. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so since I've been working from home since March and, and this is hopefully won't ruin your business. Um, I've lost 20 pounds just not eating pub food. Drinking the same amount, just not eating pub food. So. The, the thing for us in Melbourne is that we were allowed to open for six weeks. Then we've just started. I'm sorry, we were shut for six weeks. Then we were allowed to be open for six weeks. And we've just started a second round of lockdown. So that's oh. the bit that's sort of kicking in pretty hard for us. We were hoping to have 50 right. people live at the Royal Mail and Spencer with us today uh, but you know we'll get through that yeah. we're going to move right. on now to the bigfoot, bigfoot. and so we Travis just had is going um, to ask some questions about that one but um 
I'm going to ask one even before Travis, who I can just see is can't wait to do his first one in. But I'm um, chomping at the bit. Yeah, Byron, I'm I'm holding up the uh, the bottle next to the uh, image of you, mate. <laughs> were, you, were you in any way involved in uh, in doing some artistic modelling for the Bigfoot bottle? You know, we we actually. What's funny is um, Ken Ken. I call it my long-lost, separated birth twin brother, Bigfoot. Ken Ken likes to spend late nights shopping on eBay and Amazon for collectibles. Uh, for a while there, his uh, he was collecting bung reamers uh, really? and all this stuff on 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 which is you know for the barrel to to redo the hole on the barrel and like oh, all yeah. this all this crazy stuff that Ken buys right spends late nights on eBay and one night he ran across what I can only describe as a taxidermist with too much time on their hands that took As opposed a, to the really busy ones? Yeah, you <laughs> yeah, know, right. taxidermists, if you've ever met a taxidermist, they're, they're a strange bunch, right? They're like glass blowers and all these things, right? They, I imagine they, you being a, 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 a taxidermist. A taxidermist, yeah, yeah. It's, I, you know, can't do the, the guts, right? But uh, he took a human, he took a mannequin and covered it in buffalo hide and sold it on eBay for uh, as the Bigfoot statue. And of course, Ken ran across this thing. And um, Stan, who used to work for us, used to do all the logistics, was telling me, he was like, I was in a meeting with Ken and about two minutes into it, he's like, I know Ken long enough to go to know that Ken's got something else on his mind. Like he's, he's listening to you, but he's like, he's, he's waiting to tell you something and Stan's like, Ken, he stops halfway and he's like, Ken, what's up? And Ken's like, Stan, I have to have you go pick something up. And went to go pick up this Bigfoot statue that Ken bought on eBay late at night. And I always joke that that's my, my twin brother when we bring the <laughs> statue in. The resemblance yeah. is, is, is uncanny. Like, yeah. <laughs> it comes in on the release. That, that is one thing yeah. is, is Ken, Ken's uh, little thing he likes to do is get on eBay. And one, one of it, one of it is uh, those that actually sell uh, kegs. So you'll find people trying to sell Sierra Nevada kegs, which are our property. Uh, and he'll hound them. He'll troll them. <laughs> <laughs> he'll yeah. troll them straight we up. We actually had, we had a grow get busted and a bunch of us noticed the pictures in the newspaper that they had a couple kegs and a couple CO2 tanks with the orange and green stripes that they had been using for nefarious purposes. And Ken called up the Chico or the Butte County police and, and reclaimed them. So like. <laughs> we're going to get onto this. Ken sounds to me like he's very similar to another brewery owner here in Australia that owns Moo Brew in Tasmania named David Walsh. I would love to get Ken and David together side by side to see what, um, what antics they can come up with. Cause this dude is the most eccentric person you'll ever meet Has a tendency yeah. at a brewery in Tasmania of just floating around the bar and no one actually knows who he is. So they don't recognize him, but he'll just stand next to you at the bar and have a beer and start chatting to you and wait for you to say something about the beer. And he won't tell you who he is. He'll just sort of filter across and, uh, there's a museum that uh, exists in the same space as the brewery and you'll constantly, every now and again, you might see him walking through the place, but most people don't recognize him. He's uh, sounds, sounds oh, like Ken cool. and David might be yeah, uh, yeah. match made in heaven. 
Yeah. yeah. All right. We'll we'll have to follow up after this and uh, yeah. get well well worth looking into co well collaboration. Into. How how did he make his money? Do you know? Do you know the story <laughs> about how he made his money? Traffic? I uh, I do know how he made his money, and I'm not sure if it's the same way that Ken might have made his money, but <sighs> uh, he was he was basically a professional gambler. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah. That's like awesome. That. Well, you kind of are as a brewer anyway. Yeah. Not that big of a transition. Yeah. Like yeah. yeah. It's, uh, Okay, we're going to move on to the Bigfoot. Um, one of our yep. guys in our, our Zoom chat room, Crofty, had just mentioned that he opened up a 2017 Bigfoot because oh, nice. uh, due to coronavirus and lockdown and stuff, we couldn't ship him the, uh, the slug for uh, the 2020 <laughs> version. So uh, well done, Crofty, on going into your cellar and getting out that 2017 version. Yeah, um, no, guys, I why don't you give us a, a rundown on... Uh, on, on the barley wine. I've cracked mine open a few minutes ago and it is absolutely glorious. Uh, give us a breakdown on it. Go right ahead, Terrence. I'm looking at Crofty's uh, two, oh, yeah. two fine beers that he's actually holding up there. Oh, nice. Oh, yeah. Now we're all in Bigfoot. Nice. All right. Um, I... And I was looking at Crofty. So, what do you want? To, what do you want to know? Sorry, I'm, I'm a little buzzed here. Um, For those that aren't aren't in the Zoom chat at the moment, we're we're having a uh, a look into the older bottles that Crofty's holding up at the moment. So, okay, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So, a barley wine's a very distinctive style. It's yeah. It's yes. we've gone through everything else today. Um, this is probably the pinnacle that we need to finish up on. Um, so, tell us what your thoughts are in relation to what we should be tasting and just a breakdown on how this all came about for you guys. Well, so, so Ken was always into kind of big beers and big flavors. And I, I remember when I first started working there, like the way that the employees explained it to me was celebration is two pale ales. Bigfoot is two celebration ales, right? So it was always that kind of building off of the other beer and, and making it more than what the other one was, right? And uh, so, so for me, like our barley wine, like right now this 2020, those that are actually drinking it, um, this, is, this is where I feel it starts hitting its pinnacle for me, and that's my personal opinion. Um, but I might come back and taste this in four years and go, shit, that's really good. Um, the, the, the thing is, is like, I feel like our, our barley wines, when we first make them and they first come out the gate, they're, they're pretty aggressive. Um, you know, so this, this actual package that I have is, um, it's like March 3rd. Yeah. So, uh, so whenever you start getting into that, you know, four to eight month range is where I really like them. Um, you know, e even up to a year. Uh, but, but for me personally, um, like, cause we taste them right before we, we, we release them and they be, they're a little sharp, right? Uh, a little, a little too much bitterness, a little too much hop, uh, all those kind of characteristics. Um, it, it is an American style Barley wines, big bitterness, big hops, everything, you know, in a lot of ways, this is borderline the first kind of flirt with a triple IPA 
stylistically. Um, you know, triple IPAs have changed where there's no caramel malts uh, and the hop characteristics have changed. But uh, in essence, to me, it's kind of like the, the birth of that kind of style. Uh, as, as Bigfoot ages, though, uh, I, I love the tremendous changes that it goes through, the sherry notes that come in. Uh, this is very, still very much the bitterness is pronounced. Uh, the piney characteristics, kind of a little bit of fruitiness. This is bottle conditioned as well. Uh, so you have that kind of coming through. Uh, you know, it gets hidden a little bit by the hops. But um, as it ages, those sherry notes and those kind of toffee notes and caramel notes, um, and, and the oxidation actually uh, helps and benefits and kind of mellows the beer out. So... And that's that's the beauty of like this beer is like sometimes I'll I'll do a, a vertical tasting of these and it's like all right some of the years weren't as good as the others it's just to me that's that's one thing that the beer industry probably hasn't done as well as the wine industry right the wine industry it's like oh the eighty seven cab was just amazing right but Mother Nature screwed everything up in eighty eight uh, so so there is we're we're still using you know, uh, ingredients that were uh, harvested from fields and they will have variations. And that's what I love about tasting beers that, uh, that have been aged over time. So I, I am a Bigfoot fanatic. Um, Terrence knows this fact of me. Um, I, you here in Chico, I have a house, um, very many, a lot of houses here don't have basements. Um, luckily, I, um, although when it rains a lot, I find out why a lot of houses don't have basements and I'm down there with a shop back, vacuum below water. But the reason I'm saying this is I'm able to actually store, uh, a lot of Bigfoot. In fact, um, over the 13 years that I've worked here, I have probably a dumb amount, right? I can build a little fortress to hide behind of like three or four years of Bigfoot from every year over 13 years. And, you know, it's my it's my little fortress to hide in, right? And um, I, I've 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 come around a lot with Bigfoot, right? I loved obsessively when I started in the beer industry, doing verticals, tasting them, and all that. And you know, I love it from when it's fresh in the tank. I call it zero day Bigfoot. We have these big uh, dish bottom fermenters, and if a fermenter was a person, it would take a restraining order out against me because I'm always around the corner, like looking to see if the ice is formed on and seeing if it's ready. Cause it's got these big bags of hops floating in it. And I love to try it that I love to try it after six months, a year, you know, three to five years, it gets more of like a almost Belgian, if a Belgian double and quad had a baby, you know, and I kind of felt like sometimes like if after eight to 10 years, it stopped. And um, Terrence and I were down in the Bay area a couple years ago and somebody brought us a 15 and 18 year aged Bigfoot and it was phenomenal how different it was starting to pick up like one tasted like brownie batter and you know this this beer is it's big like I love the barley ones Bigfoot's always been one of my favorites it's you know there's kind of a hack that happens with brewing with this is that when we were you know originally brewing on the 100 barrel system um, which is a fully copper system you gotta remember this is a a scrap metal copper system that was from germany that was designed to do what like 12 maybe 14 degree play-doh my box once a year it wasn't designed to do um 
you know, I believe this starts at like what, 24 degree Play-Doh. So what we do is we start with uh, a beer and we, we, we boil it for three to four hours and we take a hundred barrels and reduce it down to 65 barrels, throw it in the opens, let it ferment out, which if you're ever looking for a really cool video, we have a time-lapse of Bigfoot uh, fermenting in the open fermenters. And then we transfer it to the dish bottom tanks um, with some hop socks, you know, big giant bags of hops floating, carabinered up in there and let it just do its work in there. And that's the barley wine style. It's one of my favorite styles. Um, it's it's kind of what I cut my teeth on and it's big, it's bold. It's got enough caramel. Like the thing I really love about American barley wines is I find sometimes with American IPAs, you know, without that caramel malt and without the, that flavor to it, it's a little too much for me, but I love that balance that it has. And, you know, I, I just love to sip on this beer. I, you know, I go once a year on my Bigfoot diet, which I didn't do this year because of everything that happened. And I don't drink any other beer except Bigfoot, which a lot of people are like, oh my God. But, you know, instead of having you know, over the course of six, seven pale ales or torpedoes sitting by the, the campfire, I'll have one or two Bigfoots because I just love to sit there and sip on it. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, the, uh, I, I was talking a little bit about that with like, um, you know, pale versus celly. You know, pale, pale is Cascade, Celebration Ale. You're getting your Centennials and Cascades. And with this, this beer, this barley wine, you're getting Cascade Centennial and Chinook. I know I've brought it up a couple times of like that pine, pine wood characteristic. I don't even know if Australia, you guys have pine wood. Is there pine wood there? Yeah, oh, but not, not often used in brewing. So. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's just that kind of. That woody, sometimes I get cedar notes off of it too as well. And I don't even know if you know what cedar is, but okay, yeah. I'm going. <laughs> uh, so it's I, funny, I, I was talking to somebody, they, it, it, they, were, they had worked and lived in Australia for a couple of years. And we were making jokes about, you know, knifey, spoony and all this shit like, Everyone loves Snarfy Spoonie. I yeah, see yeah. you played it before. Yeah. Yes, and yeah, he, he used to describe, and it's funny because there's always these things kind of lost in translation, right? And he was always describing malts with like this biscuit note. And he'd always get this funny look from people well, and be like, oh, biscuit yeah. notes and stuff. And then he, he realizes like a year into describing it, everybody's like, well, what kind of biscuit? Like a chocolate biscuit? Like an oatmeal biscuit? Like... M&M biscuit and he's like what do you mean and what's an M&M biscuit and he realized that in this whole time he was describing cookies yeah and that's right the, yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah it, it's pretty funny yeah looks well, like <laughs> your uh, your apparent obsession with huntsman spiders which has got to be said of the least scary spiders that Australia has ever produced oh, yeah. <laughs> so you were worried about huntsmans and pythons there's nothing to worry about in terms of huntsmen and spiders. I can and name you 10 very scary spiders and 10 very sp scary snakes. Neither all I remember is all I remember is the video in eighth grade of cane toads. That's uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Just, yeah. You just step on those and you move along. <laughs> yeah. Golf well, clubs. I, Golf the clubs really thing helped. was, you know, getting in your car after your window has been open and pulling down, I don't know what you call the visors, 
the windscreen yeah, yeah. and this huntsman just drops out onto your lap and you're just like you just say flick out. it out the flick it out the window and be okay dumped. yeah, yeah it, oh, it's that. sitting on a toilet it's sitting on a toilet and suddenly a redback like crawling onto your thigh uh, <laughs> I, I have genuinely been sitting on a toilet and realized that there was a brown snake that had curled around the base <laughs> of the toilet oh, oh browns my God. are probably yeah. the fastest yeah. snakes in australia yeah. Is there okay. anything that's not venomous out there? I'm gonna pull us. I'm gonna pull us back on track here. Yeah, David, I would say that would make you shit in your pants. But you our know. good friend David Carter. <laughs> Luckily, you're on the toilet. <laughs> so, so uh, David Carter, who's obviously in the Zoom room today, has made reference to a um, a beer camp at some point in time, mm. Byron, where you what, what you, happens at beer camp stays at beer camp. Uh, no, it doesn't yeah, anymore like, because it's in the yeah. courtroom right now. So we oh, can boy. talk about I it. I don't know. Whatever he has on me, I... I, I, I think it's yeah. I think it's going to be more incriminating for him than it is for anyone else. He said <laughs> that you gave him a vertical uh, Bigfoot vintage six-pack to mm-hmm. take home as a memento. Nice. And apparently he's never told you this, but uh, when he got to San Francisco, he left it on a bus and never got to try them. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> there is, was some lucky bum in the tenderloin that got the best six-pack ever. Uh, you know, that both of those, you know, we, we had the original beer camp with the, everybody from Phoenix Beers, which to this day, the collective hangover that happened from those days hanging out, <laughs> Uh, still haunts me to this day, but you know that was the night we were all at the Banshee at two thirty in the morning. They're talking to go to San Francisco, and then we had a consumer beer camp and went down, picked everybody up, brought everybody up to Chico. It was like a four or five day thing for me, where I slept for like four or five days afterwards. But it was so much fun, like all the consumers and Dave and everybody just hanging out. Um, and went back down to San Francisco, went to Toronado, went to St. George Distillery. And it was, I, I have, um, with the whole Phoenix crew, they owe me a trip down to Australia. So, uh, <laughs> oh, within two years, out there. Yeah, within when, two uh, years all over this coronavirus thing, yeah. you can actually get down here and Ken gives us, not have to do uh, two weeks years, uh, a month off. And so look out because that's still coming down. I'm going to bring Terrence with me and we're just going to destroy Australia. So and all, when you come down here, you'll have to get all together in a room and yeah. we'll do the same thing it's again, but we won't leave any beer on the bus. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like David's now regretting putting that story into the chat post here. Um, he's waving his hands in the air going. If we didn't have some story of leaving something on the bus or the bar, we 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 weren't doing it right, right? Like, yeah. So uh, do you have any other questions before we throw to the kids? I, I, I think I, I left a couple of questions Let's try to, here. try to boot this baby home a bit. Um, <laughs> I'll unmute Max, and Max can ask his question. Uh, yes. This is the, one of the things you get to do if you join us in the Zoom room rather than in the podcast version. A, you've got to stick around for three hours, apparently, but then you get to ask a question. <laughs> three hours and ten uh, minutes. <laughs> yeah. So, Max, I'm going to unmute you and fire away, my friend. I'll just keep pressing the button until it unmutes. Thank you. Uh, thanks, guys. Uh, thanks so much. It's been awesome uh, seeing you guys talk and all the cool stuff. Thanks so much. My question was, uh, you talked before about wanting to see Pilsners make a bit of a comeback. I'm wondering, based on your like extensive experience in the craft beer scene, 
what are your predictions for the future? Like, what do you think is going to be popular in the next couple of years based on your experience? Oh, um, <laughs> uh, that, yeah. So, you know, I, I would love to see simplicity come back to the table. Um, you know, like I said, Pilsner, pale ales, basic traditional styles of beer. I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, I, I, I think, um, it, you know, when, when you, when you look at, you know, a lot of the research actually says that what's actually going on in the, uh, beer industry right now is what was happening in the, uh, soda industries and what kids were doing, you know, 15 years ago of, you know, fruited, uh, non-alcoholic beverages and fruited waters and all that kind of stuff. So, um, you know, I, I, I think that's really hard to, to say what it is going to be, but, um, you know, I, I just think people are just trying so many different things. I would, I would certainly hope that we don't lose sight of, uh, traditional beer styles in general so so max i i mean i i don't know how to how to really answer your question other than hoping for what what i want to see uh right so you know um, I, I, think, I just i just think it just keeps changing so so frequently and you know uh, milkshake style well sorry milk state milkshake ipas dessert stouts uh you know i mean if, if you think two years ago i was like holy shit really someone's gonna make up you know and some some of those i i've literally tasted beers with friends that taste like uh slushies and taste like um mm. uh smoothies and things of that nature that you know maybe maybe that's the way it's gonna go is like smoothie style where there's just massive amounts of purees of fruits with alcohol in it. I, I don't know. I think the way that you're describing like your idea of what a good future for beer should look like with like that innovation plus the classic styles sounds, sounds good to me. I think yeah. that it's, you know, I think there is a lot of, I think part of what Terrence is talking about is a lot of different breweries it's difficult to stand out, right? It's difficult to, you know, be part of all these breweries and have your own, like, not pale ale, but have your own flagship, right? And I think people are grasping for these things. And I don't know, honestly, I what I believe is happening, and this is just me, you know, philosophically talking, I think, I think people are coming back already. And I think a lot of that can show itself in a lot of breweries core brands that were failing or fading or you know not just having the robust numbers you know people are coming back to what they know and so you know we go on this rubber band of craziness into you know like i touched earlier you know 50 60 abv beers and then do you find those anymore no you know we go on this i'm gonna do 100 ibu i'm gonna do 300 i'm gonna do a thousand ibu you know 
and people find yeah. that they can't necessarily drink a second one and maybe that's not a sustainable business practice to have somebody order one beer but i feel like you know people are just overall coming back to what they know and there is that comfort to it so i see you know everyone returning back to i i hope stouts you know because there's a flavor i know that people sometimes get scared but you know the the 21 year old drinker is going to want to drink the same thing that i did when i was a kid and you know wanted to drink an ipa because my dad was drinking and you know some mainstream pilsner you know i want something boom and you know a lot of the you know people would look at a stout and be like oh that's too scary and you know maybe the 21 year old drinker will want that russian imperial stout so that's what i'm hoping for that's just you know my hopes and dreams of the beer industry but yeah it's if we had a crystal ball you know that's it's tough and by the way terrence and i were also commenting that we love your basement so Oh. Cheers, Max. <laughs> that is a wonderful beer basement. Yes, yes. Where, wherever the future goes, I want to yes. drink there. We eventually. want to be in that basement drinking soon. So, yes. I'm going to move things along just because we've got a few questions from people in the Zoom room, which is, which yeah. is fantastic. Uh, we've had one quick question that someone didn't want to ask publicly, which was, Terence, can you confirm the size of the batch you had to dump because of the caustic? Oh, it's uh, 400 barrels. Yeah, so, so very little was the uh, yeah, it was uh, uh, yeah, that's 800 kegs of beer. Yeah, <laughs> my worst brewing story is having to lose the 300 liters that I lost in the ill fated Metallica beer thing, which we won't talk about right now. <laughs> uh, but that puts that's a very much more concise yeah. version. Uh, James Connell, are you ready to be unmuted and to ask your question, my friend? As question number two, then I have. Carl, then I have Corey. I might have one or two after that, but then we're gonna to have to wrap things up, guys, because people have been very, very generous with their time. Uh, Jay? Yeah, ready to go? Yes, mate, go for it. All right, um, my only real question uh, is in regards to your thoughts on the large expansion of craft beer in the States, in, the, in some aspects of the world, in the last 10, 15 years. And whether that mass amount of new breweries is a good thing or a bad thing, considering there's such a small market share that everyone's fighting over uh, in that in that kind of area, and then you throw into the other factor that some of the some of the, brewery, the new breweries coming through are not keeping up with the same standards as some of the guys in the past, as you were talking about before. Beers not being released if they weren't up to up to snuff, basically, and they, they're getting dumped. You know, some breweries, new breweries coming through, aren't really keeping that sort of mindset. Do you think, in, in all essence, it is too much at the moment is it is it too many new breweries coming through i don't think so like if you're talking about per capita like you can look at other countries that have you know like belgium and stuff has a higher per capita um you know we we tend to believe that a rising tide raises all ships um right now we're you know admittedly in some some rough seas if you will uh, with a lot of breweries out there, um, you know, I, I don't think it's a, it's a bad thing. What, what you're going to see business wise, not just with breweries and stuff with what's going on right now is there's going to be a correction, but you know, I don't think it's, you know, like that's the, that's the great thing about the, the beer industry is that we don't, 
we don't view even a small brewery down the corner as competition, you know, and, you know, it's a very inviting family environment and we, it, it, it's, it's going to hurt us if we see those breweries start to close. You know, we were seeing before this, some of the legacy breweries, I mentioned Bridgeport before this, it was, it was really hard for somebody that lived in Portland in the late nineties to see Bridgeport close. So, you know, I think there's, there's adjustments, like there's growing pains in the Indian industry. We're kind of as an industry as craft, the gangly teenager. So, you know, we, but we can all grow and share and that's what we do. And that's, that's the fun thing that makes us different from a lot of other industries. So I don't know, Terrence, what do you have to add to that? I, I, I would state that if, in my personal opinion, those, those that are not focusing on quality of beer will probably suffer because I think that the consumer is, is become aware enough, um, you know, and, and like we see it a little bit of like the kind of Uber geek drinker over, over in the U S you know, they're looking at date codes they're looking at those kind of things and they're not buying anything that doesn't have a date code on it and i'm i'm an advocate for date codes i think i think they're phenomenal you know we we hemmed and hawed for years whenever i first started working at the brewery and we had a julian date code which was kind of a backwards ass way of like we want to have a code but we really don't want to have a code because we don't want you to decipher what it means um but we've we've developed standards of like pulling beer uh and getting you know like literally if i have a consumer that tells me on beer advocate of you know hey i'm seeing old old beer and you know some market outside of chicago i'm i'm on the horn with our sales staff and i'm like dude you got to get over there and you uh got to take that stuff out um which is you know it's it inevitably if if you're putting bad beer out on the shelves you're not doing anything for this industry that is going to bring it up right so so that that that's my and that's my personal opinion that, that is, there is some sierra nevada in that but a lot of that is is my personal opinion because i i, I just feel that if, if you're not devoting your 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 mind and your company to putting the best product out there it, it'll event, eventually uh, bite you in the ass so uh carl you have a question you want to ask mate uh yeah thanks very much for the for today guys i've uh, really looked at sierra nevada as a um pretty top brewery so i really appreciate being able to ask a question being someone that's a little bit newer to the game, um, I've entered it pretty organically through Hospo, but I've only been kind of brewing now for, I guess, the last probably two and a half, three months, just before the COVID kind of thing really started to kick in here. Um, I guess on that, I was going to ask um, from experienced brewers as yourselves, what advice you would have to someone like me who is new to the game or even home brewers themselves um, of any advice you have or also maybe not what to do, like what, what to try to avoid as, um, as a brewer. Byron, I'm going to go, go here. Um, yeah. so study, 
uh, read. Um, don't hesitate to ask questions, especially with uh, your peers in the industry. Try to join as many kind of chat groups. Um, try to, you know, try to get involved that way because that's only going to expand your knowledge. And, and really, you know, for, for me, one of the things I've always told people that entered the industry, uh, especially our own staff, and what was taught to me whenever I was young and coming up was trust all your senses. So it's everything. Like if you're, if you're brewing and you're, you're in, this is not going to apply to everybody here, and I, I apologize, but sounds, smells, anything like that a pump winding uh a pump cavitating uh knocking noises things that are out of the ordinary always question them and always wonder what what is what is happening at that point follow your pipes through the whole brewery know it i don't know how big your brewery is uh at that time whenever i started at sierra nevada one of my first experiences was i had to I had, it was a German panel. I didn't know German. So I had to write out what everything meant on the panel. I had to walk every single line of like, okay, that goes through that room. Now I walk into that room. Okay, that pipe goes to that tank. That goes so that when shit goes down, you know like where to go and what to close and what to shut down and what to do and and just start understanding what things sound like and start understanding what things feel like and all that you know like my my biggest thing is what we do at the brewery we 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 rub every single batch of hops that are come in we chew every bit of grain it's a sample of the grain of the entire lot but we chew all that grain and and we you know and 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 we rate it you know and sensory like when the grain comes in it's like this is really dirty and this is dusty. This is not, you know, and we, we found issues, you know, literally years ago, this has got to be about seven years ago. We had an issue with our, uh, with pale ale and celebration ale. And it was all about the same time. And I personally was getting this burnt characteristic off of our beers. And it wasn't every single one of them. It was every once in a while I'd taste like a, like a, a, a fermenter and just like, ah, that's burnt. There's something wrong with that. And everybody kind of poo-pooed it. And then other people started getting it and it started getting stronger and stronger and stronger. And then eventually we actually tracked it back to, there was a silo that had a bunch of burnt chunks. And then we tracked it all the way back to our malt supplier that it was the caramel malt that we were buying and they had a bad drum that was kilning the caramel malt and was sloughing off this burnt char off the side that had accumulated in our silo where we were getting bits and pieces into the brews and had, you know, we not like really said anything and done anything about it. It, it, it just wouldn't, wouldn't have manifested. And literally I remember talking to a guy at Bell's, it was, it was Bell's and Odell's. And they were buying from the same supplier and I made some comment and they're like, holy shit, no way, really, you're getting that too? And we all chimed in and 
and they looked into it and like, oh, we got a bad drum wow. at our at our malt facility in England. Mm-hmm. So that's those are, those are, like attention to detail if you're going to be a brewer, and and sometimes that's a pain in the ass for people, but for me, it's what my life's all about. Just, and seeing the, all just, the just real, just, yeah, knowing yeah, just, the process, knowing everything about that, no matter right, what you're doing in life, right? And and my my kid dreads it. No, I'm just <laughs> <laughs> so we have another question from uh, Gary. I think he's in our Zoom room at the moment. Um, yeah. You're unmuted, Gary. Go ahead. Okay, um, just got a question because I I really listened to. Um, uh, what Terence had to say about stout there early, because I'm a stout drinker, like um, foremost, and um, I've got into pals recently, um, and you know, definitely with some brewers, there's there's a difference. To me, anything lighter than an IPA is really lager. But my question is, coming back to what you say about the, the market, um, do you really chase the market? Like, I mean, like you, you talked about what the kids are drinking, but does that mean you sort of throw out what you've got and you you cut you start making sours or or um, or spritzers or whatever is the latest or you hold true and wait for those customers those true believers to to come back or be born and come through come through the the um, you know like the um, uh, I, I don't know what you call it but like through their wavering period you know. Do, if if the if the if the age group the demographic that's paying for craft beer is older in their late thirties to early sixties, then do you have to worry so much about kids to use the the phrase? Yeah. Uh, gosh. Um, I think I think one of the things you gotta kind of think about i i totally understand i'm i'm right there with you like i'm i believe everything you just said right um i i think there's a point where that 21 to 30 year old is going to be 32 to 40 years old right so if you can find a way to kind of influence them at that point they don't need to be hardcore buying your brand but there's going to be that moment where they're going to it's going to click right and they're going to be like oh yeah all right right um because you know my my palate's changed over years um i think all of our palates will eventually or probably have changed or are gonna change right um i'm i'm probably at the stage of my life where i should probably drink less but yeah it hasn't quite come <laughs> you know like my my, do- my doctor told me i should um so you know it, it, it it's interesting because it, it's there's this big health consciousness right now with youth of america at least in the united states i don't know if it's so much there maybe it's worldwide um but it definitely is that kind of ooh, i don't want to drink too much um where you know i think like 10 years ago it was it, people said oh i don't want to drink that much but people drank that much you know and they didn't give a rat's ass what someone else said 
Um, but I, I, I think, you know, you, you kind of always got to listen a little bit, open ears. Um, I keep, I keep looking around cause the, the, the thing moves around. So <laughs> you were down there and now you're over here. Um, so, um, yeah, I think I think us as a company, uh, the size that we are, we have to we have to have we have to have open ears. The one thing I want to and I've been trying to stress a little bit is like trying to develop a, a way that we can speak to everybody, right? And so maybe we have some brands that are not necessarily for. Uh, people my age we we already have those right i mean we have tor torpedo is an, a fucking old man's ipa i'm, I'm not gonna Why are you i'm not gonna lie to you <laughs> uh, uh you know not 50 and, yet <laughs> and, 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 and hazy I'll, I'll give you I'll give you an example hazy ipa when we did a survey and we did we surveyed like a thousand people in the united states which is actually pretty big for a, a company our size we had 60 percent of the people that actually drank hazy ipa had never had a sierra nevada in their entire life never had a well, sierra nevada yeah. and in my mind that blows my mind yeah. Right. I love data and that's for me. I, I cannot imagine anybody that actually drinks craft beer that has never had a Sierra Nevada, at least a pale ale or a torpedo or a something, right? And so whenever I heard that, I was just like, that cannot be accurate. And they did it again and sixty percent again. Wow. And yeah, it's just it, it blew my mind. And so so Hazy's opened up a window for us where we cannot, as a company financially, ignore that consumer. Right. And I'm going to kick over to James B for his question, and then I'm going to ask Michaela's question. So, James B, hopefully you're unmuted, brother. Uh, yep. So, uh, first of all, thanks for um, giving up your time to to join us today. It's been awesome to to talk, talk shop with you guys. Um, I guess one of the positive things about the situation with COVID um, is seeing local breweries kind of band together, um, come up with ways to not just keep their brewery alive, but also um, each other's. I'm just wondering if you're seeing a similar sense of community over in the States as well between fellow breweries. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's been plenty of like, really a lot of more 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 in line of like you know I, I have seen where people are sharing ingredients and you know like right right now there's like a shortage with cans and 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 we we don't fall fall into that category because we don't use a lot of like blank cans um but there's like blank can shortage um other raw ingredients but a lot of like what I've found is like success stories of what, you know, sharing what's working, what's not working as far as actually selling beer. Cause we've been in a lot of communications. Like I, like I said, we we're starting to open up an avenue of um, e-commerce sales. 
and like working with you know we've been we've been talking to modern times that have been using e-commerce for the since their existence and that's pretty much how they make their revenue and they share that information with us us and russian river we've been you know i was on the horn with uh with natalie uh uh, Salerzo, uh, who is uh, Vinny's wife, uh, about, okay, what boxes are you guys using? Where are you getting them? What are you doing? You know, like all that kind of shit. Um, so all that stuff is, yeah, actually going down and, and it, it's been, a uh, you know, let's, let's try to help each other and is, is best we can and, and try to all survive. So. Byron, you got anything to add to that one, mate, before we do the sort of the last question of the official show? Yeah, you know, that's that's the thing that makes me really love being in this industry is like, you know, when you're in other industries, you view everybody else as competitors. And in no world in any other thing would we be calling, you know, if Russian River was some sort of other company being like, hey, what are you guys doing? And they'd be like, you know, wouldn't give you the time of day, you know? And so I think that's one of the wonderful things about this industry is that we're all, we're all helping each other. We're not like, you know, any other, any other business outside of what American craft beer is growing is like, Oh, I'd be glad to see those other four breweries close down because now I got that shelf space and people are like, let me help you with this packaging. You know, when Terrence brought up Russian river, they got the weirdest bottle mold on the planet. And like, you know, like which bottle will fit into this and how many boxes and like taping stuff up. And I, you know, it's even in trying times, it still, it brings a tear to my eye, you know, to have somebody call or reach out to you and be like, Hey, I like, I need some help on this. And, you know, and to, to speak to Ken, Ken being like, help them out. Like, you know, give them that information. It's, it's not a secret. So yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a weird situation to be in, but that's, like I said, one of the things that brings me back to why I love being in this industry is that we are there helping each other it's out. A, it's a weird industry or weird situation for all of us, right? Yeah. Like everybody, everybody on this, uh, zoom, zoom chat could probably, uh, shake their head to say, yeah, these are some fucking weird times. Yeah. So I've got, I've got one Everybody question. shake their head at the same time. It's yeah. 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 uh. <laughs> a, a very nice way to start round things out because I've yep. got one question left from Michaela who typed this one to me and asked me to ask this one. But perhaps before I ask it, I'll do that little bit of wrapping up. Before I do that, can I say, for everyone who's on Zoom or listening in the podcast, um, thank you for joining us in the podcast. What we're going to do now after I ask this question and we get these answers is sit around. It would be completely acceptable, can I say to our guests, after four odd hours <laughs> of interviewing, if you want to just switch it on camera off and, and go off into the <laughs> night. If you want to sit around and drink with us, well, that'd be great. There'll be a whole lot of people in Australia who are going to do that on the Zoom from here on in. And um, thank you to everyone who's been a part of it. It's been awesome that we've been doing this for four hours and the numbers of people who are watching have built up rather than decreased over that time. And I think that just speaks to uh, Byron, Terence, how great you are in terms of telling stories 
bringing people in and wanting, you know, wanting to answer questions and make a, you know, a really interesting answer for people. So um, thank you for that. Thank you to everyone who else has joined us along the way. If you're listening to this podcast as your first ever cool room experience, then please follow us on social media, follow us on Instagram, follow us on Facebook. Let us know if you'd like to follow us on the uh, email uh, trail so that you can be part of our interviews with Deep Creek from New Zealand and you can be part of Thin Man uh, from New York, uh, from Buffalo, New York, and uh, from Kaiju, uh, very much our local one. Uh, Terence is holding up his porter. I'm holding up my porter, which is a great way to sort of drink all the way around the world at once. Um, for me, before I ask Michaela's question, I've got to say, Sierra Nevada has been one of the very first international craft beers that I ever encountered. The very first sort of craft beer thing-ish that I ever did was with the likes of Owen and Oliver, who are online now. It was at the back room of the Flemkin Bowls Club. And we just basically had cans of torpedo, cans of pale ale, <laughs> bottles of torpedo, bottles of pale ale, all from Sierra Nevada. Got someone to take them out of the room, open them all up, and then we just had a discussion about which ones we could pick as to what and what we thought which was which. Uh, James Connell is still in the room together. We have a history of Bigfoot together. And pretty much everyone, you know, one way or another, I've probably <laughs> drunk with most of the people in this room, Sierra Nevada beers. I would never have thought for 10 minutes in my life, that, you know, one of you guys might pick up the phone and have a yarn for, you know, literally that five or 10 minutes and give me a couple of answers. Uh, you guys, uh, iconic in world brewing. You've been so generous with your time today. Um, which brings me to Michaela's question. After the time that you've both spent working for this iconic brewing company, what keeps you excited about brewing? What keeps you excited about beer? And I guess generally, why have you been so generous with your time tonight with a whole lot of people just sitting around in Melbourne on a, you know, a wet Saturday afternoon? Um, thank you. And tell us what excites you right now. Byron, you go. You know, this is being where I am in this in this company. One of the things um, that I, I miss the most of is just hanging out with everyone and having a beer. And you know, this this is a lot of fun. I love doing this kind of thing. It's not something as the introvert I thought I was as a kid ever ever thought that I would find exciting and fun, but I do now. And you know, it's it's. At the end of the day, when it comes down to these things and hanging out and why we do these things, and people are like, why do you like to talk to the public and stuff? And I'm like, y'all are the ones that make sure my paycheck clears. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's, it's great. And, I'm, and yeah, it's, I, I love working for this place. Um, there are very many other people that I would work for besides Ken, um, you know, a couple of them have come up in this, this interview uh, that live in San and those are the only other two people that I would probably work for. But yeah, it's a, it's a lot of fun. I didn't ever, you know, the, speaking back to the crystal ball thing, never thought I found myself in Chico, California working for a brewery, but I wouldn't change it for the world. So yeah. Thank you all. Awesome. Cheers. Yeah. Cheers.
Okay, Karen, do you want to say something? Now you want mine? Uh, <laughs> you know, I uh, I'm gonna go I'm gonna go back a little bit, right? Um, so that that first time I had Sierra Nevada Pale Ale in a parking lot at a Grateful Dead concert, and kind of fell in love with beer. Kind of started, I, you know. I'm not gonna lie. I, I did some drugs in my day. <laughs> Probably still do a little bit, not very much, but um, that's most. Sorry, just to clarify, uh, you went to a Grateful Dead concert, and maybe you and he was around. sober. <laughs> he was stone cold sober. I saw my I saw my first Grateful Dead show uh, at the age of uh, five days after my 14th birthday. Wow! I saw him 238 times. Mainly all in the state of California. Uh, all in the state. Do they of California. own a farm next to you or something? Yeah. And, uh, and they had no, pot no, no, laced no. biscuits. That, that, that's that's li- literally uh, very few times for some people that actually saw them. Um, but I, so I, I had a group of friends and I had an older brother and, um, you know, we all partied and we all, you know, enjoyed life and things like that. Um, and, but I started kind of, you know, finding things that I enjoyed, which were like homebrewing. And, uh, I actually, when I went to UC Davis, I didn't even go to UC Davis to study beer. I went to UC Davis cause I lost a bet with a girlfriend <laughs> who, who said I, who said I could, I could, uh, I could actually, get accepted into the university and I thought hell no and she said well you can't we can't have the bet until you apply and so they accepted me and I went there and so literally the first year I was there I was studying environmental uh, planning and uh, I took my first government bureaucracy class and I thought this is terribly boring (laughs) that same summer my brother got a job with rogue breweries up in uh, Ashland Oregon uh, and I went up and spent the summer with them and I, uh, cleaned kegs for all the Shakespearean stout I could drink, uh, <laughs> all night long, uh, for free and realized, oh, I can go back to Davis and actually enroll in, in beer and fermentation. And, and so for me, it's always kind of been a passion. You know, I go back to talking about my dad again, of like this, this, working hard uh and trying to elevate yourself and so i've i've found that you know working at sierra nevada working for the grossman family that they've been very rewarding for hard work and dedication and passion um uh, you know i i still you know not to pump myself up but uh, i feel like Every every day when I go to work, um, you know, I, I, I tell a story to a lot of people. It took me literally seven years working at Sierra Nevada before I had a day where I was driving to work going, I don't want to go to work today. Like, I'd rather have the day off. And, and honestly, 26 years, it's probably been 26 days where I've had that same feeling. Uh, I really, I really look forward to going to work. I really look forward to um, that, especially the pine at the end of the day, as I told you about <laughs> earlier. Um, 
but but that is that is you know i mean i get i get to do some great shit you know i get to sit there you know every thursday you know i i work from home right now during covid uh but every thursday we go in and we do a a tasting of experimental beers and it's fucking phenomenal you know I, i i look forward to that every every thursday even though i'm late by about five or ten minutes but uh that's just how i roll uh but it's like man just to like see what we're doing and see what the the kids today at the brewery are doing it's that's that's all the shit that i really fucking dig it's 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 working in the beer industry is just phenomenal and for me i i that's that's the passion i have so whenever i look over at carl that's what you got to feel, baby. Um, <laughs> Carl you know, does. He lives in Kensington. He, we uh, know exactly how he feels. Yeah, and it, it's just—it's like just to look like when you, when you go into an account, and I do this a lot. I go into an account, and I'm I'm nobody. I don't show my cards. I don't show anything, and I just sit across the room. And when you see someone pick up a Sierra Nevada Pale Ale or pick up a torpedo or pick up a hazy and they're having a good time and they're drinking that beer. That is, that, that is, sorry, I didn't mean to hit the microphone, uh, <laughs> Travis. Uh, but that, that's Byron and my soul that went into that beer, you know? And, and hard so seltzers have no soul. <laughs> they, they don't. They, are, they honestly do not. They do not. And, I'm going to put a bow on this one as what, we say. I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell you this, and, and I'm, I'm being 100% honest, honest here, and I, I've been 100% honest this whole thing, and it might be get me in trouble because it's recorded. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, but, no one's David, parents listening. If we, ever, if we ever do one of those seltzers, there'll be a little bit of this heart that, like, dies. <laughs> 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 Guys, you've been so generous with your time. What I'm going to do is officially put a bow on that bit of episode two. Uh, you've been, it must be now getting close to 10, 30, 11 o'clock over there in the US. Yeah, that you know, be- my, my wife always knows 10:30. that when I'm hanging out with Terrence that when I tell her I'll be home at 9.30, she knows uh, that it's yeah. going to be 11. Well, yeah, there, so what I'm suggesting we're going to do is that we put a bow on the second part of the episode. For people who want to sit around, we can all unmute ourselves. We'll have okay. a yarn. Guys, in, guys over in Sierra Nevada, if you need I, to go, I, you've been I so can, I can hang out until 11. Oh, okay. That would be well. fantastic. And Paris then will do it. everyone who's recorded can have a choice as to whether we put out a third episode of a general yarn or not. But just recognise that if, you, if you're part of it, you'll get a message from me if I have your email. And if you're talking on, on microphone, you'll get a message which says, do you want this third bit to come out? It's been such a great yarn that I want to continue the conversation. But also I don't want people who are uncomfortable with being recorded, being recorded. So if that all makes sense, let's wrap up episode two. Probably the best afternoon of beer discussions I've had in my life, to be honest. Cheers, everybody. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers, guys. Cheers. Hey there, Cool Room listeners. We've got a little ad for you. 
No, we're not asking for money so that you can advertise quality mattresses, razors, or any of those other sort of things that seem to get advertised on podcasts. What we're looking for is other fun podcasts that would like to share a 30-second ad with our listeners, letting everyone know why they're so great, and in return, letting us share a 30-second ad for The Cool Room. We know that right now there's a whole lot of people who are looking for fun new podcasts to help them while away their isolation hours, so if you've got something to share, drop us a line via our Facebook or Instagram accounts. Right, ad over.